it's really difficult to build relationships, to build trust, to create the type of environment where people flourish if you have a hard heart. Good news is that today's guest, Alex Pate, really his whole message about Innocent Classroom concerns a softening of our hearts and how we can see our children, our students, our staff, maybe even for the first time. So we're going to talk about that throughout today's conversation, but we're going to start with an interesting story about Alex and how he has pivoted over his career. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back, right after these messages from our show sponsors. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Imagine a tool that allows you to deliver lessons from anywhere, which allows students to connect from anywhere and with any device. And it integrates with tools you already use, like Google Classroom and Microsoft Teams. If you think that sounds too good to be true, I can assure you it's not. That's why I'm proud to introduce you to the Smart Learning Suite online. Learn more at smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. That's smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. I believe that school leaders are doing the best they can. But is it possible to be just a little bit better? According to Demetrius, a school leader in California, the best part of the mastermind is the hot seat. I learned so much from the challenges that we all share during the hot seat because the feedback that our members give is so insightful and valuable. Lauren, a principal in Washington, D.C., remarked that the best part of the mastermind is access to tremendous thought partnering. If you would benefit from getting connected to other elite school leaders, and would enjoy discussing education and leadership deeply each week, then we welcome your application to the mastermind. Apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. Hello, Ruckus Maker. I am so excited to be joined today with Alex Pate, an author and educator who launched Innocent Classroom in 2012, with a vision to eliminate the power of racial stereotypes in our schools through authentic relationships between teacher and child. More than 8,000 educators in 300 schools are using the innocent classroom. Alex's teacher-by-teacher, school-by-school approach shows results where other efforts have failed. And you can check out all this great work at innocentclassroom.com. Alex, welcome to the show. My pleasure. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks, Dan, for having me. Appreciate it. Pleasure. So, you know, some, something we talked about in our intro call was just the amount of times you pivoted. And that's important because that's sort of the name of the game right now, especially for educators and school leaders. So can you, can you share one of those pivot moments for us and your, your thinking behind it and that experience? Well, I, I think, I mean, if we're talking about Innocent Classroom specifically, I think one of the great pivots was the recognition of what the challenges 
our public school teachers in general, educators in general are facing and how difficult it is to absorb new strategies that sort of innovate in the way of relationships. In other words, I think a lot of educators accept the relationship that children present to them as opposed to constructing new ed- new relationships. And so when we first started, I had to really back up and acknowledge the hard work and the challenges that teachers were, you know, were confronted with and construct a new way of, of reaching out to educators on how to reach out to their children. So, I mean, in my life, of course, we were talking about pivots and changes. They're myriad, right? So I'm a novelist by profession, so to speak, was a professor when I started this program. And my journey to find this concept of innocence, this theoretical approach that I wanted to try out, took me many years to sort of evolve into. I began, as I say to folks, I think I said to you, what, it started off as a meditation for me. It's like, what are the, what is the difficulties that I, com- I was confronted with in my journey as a young Black man and then moving into later stages of my life and still not feeling, feeling free? So the major pivot was this reconsideration of what I was carrying around was a kind of guilt, the cumulative impact of negative stereotypes and how that affected the way I opened myself to the world and realizing that our children are confronted with the same challenge. So there have been a number of pivots. The pivot to understand this idea of freeing children to achieve and on on one hand, freeing them from the bondage of negative stereotypes and then uh, pivoting into a place where my conversation with educators was well-received. I like that phrase you said, you know, freeing kids from the, the bondage and negative stereotypes. And uh, that's really, really important work. That's the work of a ruckus maker. You're making change <laughs> happen in education. Talk to us about how you see schools and how you help schools uh, do that. What are some practical things that, that they can do just from listening to our conversation today? Well, I think, first of all, is recognizing that our children are burdened in an enormous way with the negative ideas, iconography, narrative, and images that they are confronted with and that is bestowed on them as they walk out into the world all the time. So, you know, one of the first things that we do with educators in our training is to ask them, what does America tell you about students of color who are sitting in your class? And that list, I mean, we're just asking for one word adjectives at that point. And that list is a horrible, horrible list. Even the positive things don't look good in that list. So you might, you know, some of those words might be uh, angry, confrontative, violent, uneducatable. I mean, these are just concepts that culture throws at the world about students of color. So when we get that list, we are saying this list of negative stereotypes about children of color exists and our cognitive capacity to separate our feelings from those stereotypes is very difficult. In other words, we may not have those feelings about the children we teach. And most educators, I don't think, do. But in moments of crisis, in moments of conflict, those those negative stereotypes rise up. But the more important thing is, I say to teachers all the time, if you think that, what do you think your students think 
the world says about them. In many cases, and in most cases, I would say that students know exactly what the teachers know. If the teachers are, are fending off and are impacted by negative stereotypes about the children they teach, the children they teach are recognize that this is what the world thinks about them. And the dangerous thing and the scary thing is that our many of our students believe the teachers believe what the world is saying about them. And so you have two groups of people who are meant to help to be in this complementary interaction, this relationship in a classroom, and they both have ideas about each other which are derived from stereotypes. So the challenge here is to first recognize that what you see is not necessarily what is true, that the students that are in front of you, the behavior that you're witnessing, the energy and the attitudes coming from many of the students is not a precise reflection of who they actually are. Most of them are responding to a kind of script that has been constructed for them by popular culture. So how do you how do you get past that and find the authentic inter, you know basis for an interaction for the development of a relationship? And that's the work that we do. So if we say guilt is this reality that many of our children have involuntarily internalized based on the way stereotypes have constructed their realities in the world, how do you get them to drop that, that what I would call like a bondage to a script? It is heavy. Um, And many of our children don't even know this is what is happening to them. So they never get a chance to quote unquote be. And being is a really important piece in this. So a teacher has to look, has to experience whatever is, you know, head down on desk, frenetic movements, uh, disruptive energies, whatever against whatever the behavior is, a teacher has to experience that, that's real, and they have to manage that the best they can, and then they have to get past that very quickly and find the source for that behavior. So in the innocent classroom, to go from guilt to innocence, that child has to pass through, the relationship between the teacher and the student has to pass through a middle phase in which we challenge educators to find the good of a student. And when a teacher finds, and by good here, I think it deserves some explanation. I'm not talking good versus bad. I'm not talking about the way teachers might talk about a child could have done something really bad. And the teacher would say, well, I know he has some good in him. That's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about good versus bad, or or, um, we're talking about good, as defined by Aristotle in Aristotelian philosophy, good is the thing for which all things are done. So when a teacher can identify the reason why a child is behaving in a particular way, no matter what that, even if it's good behavior, find out the source of that behavior and develop strategies to embrace and engage that good, the child's capacity to hold on to negative energies and attitudes begins to fade and the relationship can grow from that spot. You mentioned something that I found interesting uh, that, that through your work, some educators have come to you and told you that they can see their children for the first time. Yeah. It's powerful. They can see their kids. What, what, what do they mean when they're, they're telling you that? Well, I think for the first time or it's human, right? We are confronted with certain ways of being And we recoil or we pull back or we make our own decisions about what we can accomplish in that reality. But you're not really looking, and I'm saying in the case of young kids of color, you're not looking at 
the real problem. The real problem is in is almost wholly contained in that child's life. That child came to you with challenges that I'm suggesting the American culture has put on them. And your job is to sort of sweep all that away and find that true child. So what happens is when a teacher sees a child's goodness, their good, the thing for which all else is done, they see something different. They see a desire to be cared for. They see a desire to feel connected. They see a desire to feel like I belong somewhere, to be seen or to be heard, to feel safe. And each one of those, I mean, because a lot of times you'll, you'll be engaged with a child and the child is reacting in a way that might even be aggressive, but really what that child is saying, I'm scared. I'm never, I never don't feel scared. Can you help me not feel scared today? Well, an educator, unconscious of or and, and sort of not being having gone through this conversation, will interpret the behavior in an entirely different way. So all I'm saying is when you are confronted with behaviors that trouble you or or generate an emotional response from the teacher, stop for a minute, take a deep breath, try to understand what that child's history is, what their world is like, their reality. And if it is, I don't feel safe, then your job for the next two weeks is to try to help that child feel safe. And in return for that, that child will drop their guard and drop their uh, resistance to you and begin the territory where a relationship can actually grow. One of the things that we discovered in our work over these 10 years, eight, nine years, I guess, is that our children are actually defenseless against love. In some ways, reaching a child with the thing that they need the most. So, all right, so for example, uh, I'll ask educators, what is this child's good? After they've described the child and the behavior, et cetera. And they'll say, well, I think he, she just needs love. And I'm like, uh, even though I just use that word, I would say that's not good enough because you don't know how that child defines love. You need to know who that child is and I understand, understand when that child needs love, when, that, when you're saying, or they just, all they want is attention. These are common adult phrases about children. Well, he's just trying to get more attention. Or, well, why is he trying to get attention? And what is he trying to get attention for? And sometimes, for example, that comes down to a child who has never feels acknowledged in the world. Nope. He's in a house full of kids or a, ho- or a family or a world in which nobody ever pays attention to him. He's always being told what to do and to develop a strategic approach to help that child feel connected to you or to change that reality in that child's life to respond to the need of that child in this way opens the door for a relationship because our children will also appreciate someone who is there, who is their ally, who shows up as their ally without talking about it. It's like sometimes this comes down to very little things like a hairbrush for a child coming out of gym. Having a hairbrush around for this particular child who's who sense little mirror. Yeah, right. It, it, having lunch with a child every now and then is a really small little thing. And yet for some children is the only way you can say to them, I'm seeing you. I'm, I'm hanging out with you. What's your life like? How was the basketball game last night? What, what, whatever the conversation was or, you know, can be that opens the door for a full-on functional and effective relationship in a classroom. 
You're doing doing the hard work to uh, understand each of those individuals and, and, you know, showing that love in a way that they can receive it. What I heard you saying, too, is don't fall for, um, you know, behaviors and these things that you see at face value. Right. That's just kind of a symptom of a root cause. So get to that root and, and connect with the kid there, which paves the way for a relationship. Right. And then you can do anything from there. So that's really the point. And a lot of educators think that, well, I don't have time. I've got 30 kids. It's a very, I got to teach the curriculum. Right. And I'm, and I'm saying to them, this is pre-curricular. This is pre-disciplinary because if the connections are made as quickly as possible with each child, you know, you can have your priorities of children you want to work with first. But if you begin to do that, what we also know is that the investment pays off relatively quickly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you'll get through everything and go deeper and further. And yeah, that's that's great stuff. Alex. So thank you for that. So that was interesting, all coming from like seeing kids for the first time in what about when some educators are, are maybe not connecting with the message right away or they are sort of trying to let themselves off the hook because their experience is different than the kids that they face in front of, right? And uh, when is that that big of a gap too experientially? You know, what do you, what do you say to people like that? Well, the first thing is don't run away. Step forward. And then the next thing is, is I don't, we don't spend a lot of time trying to convince educators that what I'm saying has value. What we do is put them in the world, ask them to identify one or two children as a, as a sort of case study, approach them with some of our ideas, identify their good, and develop a strategy to engage their good, even if you're disbelieving. Because in some ways, this is about disbelief, suspending disbelief. The, the secret if there is a secret sauce or how you out people have these terms, but if there's a, a mysterious part to the innocent classroom, it comes from the fact that Aristotelian, the Aristotelian definition of good, which is that for which all other things are done. When you can identify that thing that is driving everything or driving this child's behavior, the first byproduct is empathy. And it's really a magical thing. So I've said to educators who, I mean, I've had educators say, I I don't like this child. I can't relate. And I'm saying, well, I can help you do that. Find their good. Just take the time to tell me what you think their goodness is. And so they may say, well, I just think they, maybe she wants to feel connected. I'm like, well, then take, take five days and help her feel connected to class. Don't ask, don't talk about it. Do things have her do chores in class, have her pass out paper, you know, whatever it is that might connect her to this classroom. And what happens is most educators in that process transform. My innocent classroom is not about transforming educators, but it happens anyway, because as they remove the barriers this child is facing in that classroom in her life, the child looks up at the edge at the teacher and is like, oh, I didn't know you knew that about me or I didn't know you were watching me that closely. Why are you doing that? And then if that engagement continues along those lines, that empathetic relationship begins to flower. That's right. So so we overcome. I mean, there are there are teachers. I, you know, I'm fond of saying the only uh, valid 
uh, resistance to innocent classroom is if you don't care. And I've run into very few teachers who don't care. That's right. Well, that's, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Uh, we're going to pause here just for a moment for a message from our sponsors. But when we get back, I'd love to talk about uh, educators as liberators and what action looks like. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. Ruckus Maker. I want to tell you about a remote blended learning tool your school needs right now, Smart Learning Suite Online. As a teacher, you can create, store, and deliver lessons from anywhere, no smart board required, and your students can access and engage with your content from any web browser on any device. No matter what your classroom looks like right now, Smart Learning Suite Online offers many options for flexible learning, engaging students via collaborative workspaces and game-based activities. Smart Learning Suite Online integrates with tools like Google Classroom and Microsoft Teams, making it an easy-to-use way to create engaging content and connect with students. Learn more and get started at smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. That's smarttech.com forward slash learning suite. All right, and we're back with author and educator Alex Pate, who launched Innocent Classroom, and that's what we're talking about today. And now we're going to move to what does it mean to you uh, being an educator as a liberator? It's funny because in the beginning, I mean, I think this is one of those pivots where I didn't realize how on point this conversation was for students and teachers, that many teachers feel overwhelmed by realities they can't control, you know, that gap of experience, racial distance, economic distance. Many teachers don't teach in the neighborhoods and the communities they teach in. They don't live in the, in the communities they teach in. And so there, there was just natural gap in this inability to know each other in a way that was positive and would nurture learning and engagement. When a teacher goes under, around, or over the barriers that separate them from those children, from their students. When that happens, that empathy is created. The, the student begins to see the teacher differently. The teacher then can say to the child, you know, I care about you. We have proof of that. Look at what, what we've done together. Look at this, look at that. Now it's, I, I need something from you. I need you to do your homework. I need you to sit still sometimes. I'll come back to you. You know I'm going to come back to you. But I need you to to sit still and be patient while I do other things. That's what you do. So it's a a issue of of reciprocation. This is not sort of all down and no up. It's both ways. And when a child begins to make those, to change their behavior, to fit the expectations of the teacher, that child is breaking away from the negative stereotypes which have controlled their behavior for much of their lives, maybe, in a classroom. And we're only talking about in a classroom. 
I'm not out to change the world right now. And I'm not trying to change the school even, unless the whole school is going through innocent classroom training. And then we have something major that can take place. But in a classroom with a teacher, when that child opens their eyes and sees you as an ally, as somebody who was working with them to help them get through this journey, that child has been freed in a way to be a student. So then I started looking at teachers like, wow, that power you wield, not just to educate, not just to bring this child along in their life, but to also teach them something really profound about human relationships between racial differences, gender differences, all of that stuff starts to crumble away and children and educators both feel freed. So I see see educators in a really functional way as liberators, helping our children break from the bondage, the world around them that wants to describe them and project them as a specific thing, which is stereotypical and not true about them. Alex, I know it's important to you uh, to engage in ideas, right? So, and I'm definitely a person of action as well. How can the ruckus maker who's listening today engage, or how would you like to see them engage? Well, reading the book, challenging, uh, engaging with me and with the ideas and the theories that I present. It's a very small book, and it's uh, the whole idea of it is to stimulate thought about relationships. There are a lot of examples of how our trainers work with teachers to find good and develop strategies around that and what the outcomes have been. And then I think it's to bring it into the classroom. I, I think it is to say to your the students in front of you, say to yourself, I don't maybe I don't know them as well as I thought I did. And to begin taking that journey inward into their world. This is very much a, a strategy of engagement that puts the child first, not the teacher. And so it asks the teacher to take that step into that child's life and to risk being caught up in that child's reality in such a way that you help that child grow. Well, if you could, for just a day, put a single message on all school marquees around the world, what would you put on the marquee? I guess I've already said it. It's free children to achieve. And let's say you're building your dream school. You're not limited by anything, any resources. Your only limitation is actually your imagination. How would you build your dream school, Alex? And what would be your top three priorities? You know, I've I've thought about that a little bit. I guess the first thing I would do is construct the environment, the way that allows the concept of free and innocent to exist. I mean, security is what it is. We all know that that has to be there. But beyond that, to create an environment where schools are not just safe places, but places where children can let go of the outside world, come into and be embraced by the teachers. I tell teachers all the time, you don't have to make this a fair and balanced engagement. Our children go through so much. You don't have to keep it real. What I want you to do, what I want educators to do is create an environment where their children have a chance to learn peace, where they have a chance to learn uh, camaraderie, engagement, caring for each other. So there's a physical aspect to that in the construction of the building and the classrooms that I think is really, and I know a lot of teachers already attempt to do that. And the other place, 
the other thing, or another thing is to, I would make my school, again, the core of it have to do with empowering children to manifest themselves authentically. And that requires both physical and intellectual, you know, engagement. So, I mean, I don't really, I haven't really thought much about if I had an opportunity to build a school, what would that, you know, beyond what I'm saying to you today, my focus is, is, is only about rescuing, rescuing a lot. You know, if you think about the urban school environment, many of our children are just trampled by the system and they don't know they're being trampled. And so the environment, and I think, I guess, in the third, the third piece would be that there is a leadership here that is focused on this authentic relationship between the children of that community and, their, and the folks who are, who are there to educate them and support them and to support teachers who are taking this next step. I just think the innocent classroom concepts like this are the future of public education. The times are different. Our children don't just naturally trust teachers anymore. You have to sort of earn that trust. You have to walk into the classroom and build a relationship with each of those children in such a way that they can be free, they can perform, and they can be curious and engaged learners. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? That what you see, that many of our children have surrendered, unconsciously surrendered, or been overwhelmed by negative stereotypes. And what you see in your classroom is not necessarily an authentic representation of that child. And it's worth, to find, it's worth it to go through the journey to find who that child is and rescue them. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.